Welcome to the mikvah.org podcast. The mikvah organization has been dedicated to the education and resources for Jewish family life since 1975-5735. You can support our vital work at mikvah.org forward slash donate. Thank you for your support and enjoy today's recording. Hi, everybody. We are live. Welcome. I would like to just introduce uh, myself, Hasi Rifkin from mikvah.org, and we are going to begin tonight's session um, entitled Preparing Your Child um, for a Chesidisha Wedding with experienced mothers and Kala teachers, Mrs. Sarah Murazov and Mrs. Ruthie Sperlin, who will share insights from the Rebbe about the engagement and wedding period and um, practical tips on how to help your child in the process of making it happen. So thank you very much, um, everyone, for being here tonight, uh, taking the time to learn from home. And without any further ado, we're going to welcome Ruthie to the broadcast. Hi. Hi, Ruthie. I'm here. I wasn't sure. Awesome. All set? Okay. So hi, everyone. Uh, welcome to a whole new world of communicating via computer. And I hope you're all doing a little better at it than I am. Um, I had to, I've been helping my kids Zoom all day, and now my kids are helping me get, you know, set up and figure this out. Together we will manage. So before we begin, I want to take a minute and um, say Kapitel Chaf for a complete Refua Shalema for everyone that is still suffering from this terrible illness and that during and this is a very very trying time and it should come to a quick end with the coming of mashiach i'm going to do that first so I'm sure I speak for all of us when I when I say that these are unprecedented, um, interesting times. And where we are being tested on, on every front, as parents, as women, as wives, and as children, to elderly parents. And as we go through these times together, I, I'm struck once again by how wonderful and lucky I am and we all are to be part of this wonderful Crown Heights community and the worldwide Chabad community. We are truly like a family. And I've never felt it as much as I feel it now. And we are all looking out for one another. We're helping one another, davening for one another, saying tehillim for one another, and and um, and help and and all of us, everybody in our own way. And tuning in tonight shows definitely shows your tremendous commitment to your to, to your home, to your family, to your children. So tonight's topic, preparing 
um, your children for a Hasidic wedding is really near and dear to my heart. And for quite a few reasons, because I'm coming at this topic from both sides of the coin. So why, do, why what am I saying? So one, as a mother who's married off, can I know her three children and about to marry off another one in Rich Shem in four weeks. And also second as a college teacher. So looking back on my role as a mother, when my first child was engaged, I realized now how much I didn't know and the extent to which I needed to be involved. And I was I was literally ignorant. I I, I feel bad. Like I, I feel bad for my daughter. Now I told her yesterday, I was like, I just I like said, you know, you take care of it. I didn't realize what I needed to do and what was important for me to be involved in. And only once I became a college teacher, about two years ago, um, just a little bit about myself. I've been living in Crown Heights my whole life. Well, not my whole life, about 30 years. And um, in the last three three years, I embarked on this new journey to become a college teacher. I was a teacher for many years. And I became a college teacher. I've been teaching college now for almost two years, loving every minute of it. But only once I became a college teacher did I realize as a mother what my role should be to my children, boys and girls, as in this in this process at this time, what my job is, and and about like what why wasn't I aware and why did that awareness come with being a college teacher? So that's the whole point. What did I learn? What did I gain in the process of my of my of the college teacher training program? Mikvah.org um, had a brilliant idea, in my humble opinion, brilliant idea. Um, about two years ago to train a new batch of college teachers. And it was a very, um, I had the, I had, and I have even now, the tremendous zechos um, of learning and training with the most knowledgeable, wonderful woman to get me where I am right now. And it was through the college teacher training program that, um, that I realized why as a mother, what, what I didn't know and what I needed to know why. So of course, when the whole college teacher training program started, what was created right along with it? A WhatsApp group. I know, roll your eyes, another WhatsApp group. But this WhatsApp group is tremendous. It's, um, it, it has evolved with time as now that we're all college teachers, it's more a forum where we daily post, um, we get sikhas, we have advice, our mentors are always there to help us. But with time, we all realized we, we had these same questions coming up repeatedly. And, and most of the questions were, we saw like a bit of a disturbing trend is what you could call it. And we saw that very oftentimes the mothers of the engaged child we're unaware of what their role is and what they should do and to what level they should be involved. And, and we realized like, why don't the, why don't the girls know this? And then we realized, well, their mothers don't know that they should be involved. It's not because their mothers are not there. They just don't realize that it's important for them to be there. So what do you need to know? What is normal amount of involvement? What are vital points for you to know? And of course, what does the Rebbe say? And how does the Rebbe guide us during this important time, this important yucker, Mikol yucker, this time is called the engagement period. So between myself and Mrs. Morozov, um, we will try to give you as much practical advice and guidelines as we can. 
the purpose of this is, for example, to make you aware of new of new trends that our children totally know about via Instagram, via social media that we might not be on. And you need to have a plan for how to deal with it and not to be blindsided by, I didn't even know that that's a thing. So, so naturally you're involved with every other detail of the wedding, the caterer, the photographer, the music, the wedding planner and the schedule at the wedding and the makeup and the, all of that. And helping to set up the apartment and, and, and all those other little things. But our goal is to make you understand and to stress and to emphasize how important it is for you to know and be involved and plan these other matters as well, as well that we're going to bring to your attention now. Planning beforehand is crucial. It's everything. So you don't have to iron out issues later on once they're engaged and hopefully not at the actual wedding itself. So first and foremost, before we go into what you need to know, the, the, the practical pieces of once they're engaged, it's really important for you to know, um, to understand that each of your children are different. Each child is different. And the extent of your involvement while they're engaged, um, and the extent to which you're involved depends on your relationship with each individual child. And for some of your children, compromise is going to be the word of the day, the week, or the months till they're married. For, and, and for example, I'll give you an example. So you might have an idea of the kind of music that you want to be played at the wedding. And your child might want completely different music. And while you could think and you could say, well, what I want goes, take my word for it, that's not always the best approach. They're, they're, like I said, compromise is the word. And maybe you'll say to your child, okay, the first two um, dances will be with this type of music. And the third dance will, it's your choice. We need to, you know, we could try, we could try to help with ideas and, 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 and it would be ideal. Now, obviously it would be, I mean, this is, this is ideal. If you've had a a communicating relationship with this engaged child before they get engaged, that would be that would be ideal. That would be that would be amazing. Um, if you don't have a child who's dating yet, then I would say to you now is the time to work on your communication with that child. Um, getting to a place of openness and trust where they can let you know what they want and what they're thinking while they're dating, that's huge. But again, it doesn't work for all of us. We don't all have the same relationship with all of our children. We have a different relationship, a different way we talk, different trigger children. And um, and that's not always going to work. So for those of you that your child is already engaged and that's like that bus has left the station, then we're going to just try our best to give you tips and advice and what you can do and to what extent you can do it. Um, but you're here now. And the question is, what can you do? So what is your first step? What is, what should you do first as a mother? So first and foremost, one of the things that came up on our chat all the time is girls that are getting married in a month and they were calling us and they were, and, oh, I need a college teacher. And we were, what? This should be the first phone call you make. And as a mother, you can do the research for your daughter. You can find a good fit of a husband teacher and a college teacher. This cannot be understated this is the most this should be the first now before you book a hall 
I mean, in Crown Heights, it's not really possible because you need the hall before anything, but try your best. Call the chassan teacher, call a teacher the day, the day after the, the day after. Go to mikvah.org. We're all listed there. Um, do your research, ask around. Use a college teacher that is certified by mikvah.org. We have we were comprehensively trained. We all have different styles, we all have different methods, we have all the same information. We were we were we were taught by all different types of professionals, Rabbanim, um, seasoned, seasoned college teachers, um, pelvic floor specialists came to speak to us. Um, we have we're fully, fully trained in Chabad Halacha, Chabad Minhag, Chabad Hashkafa, and we give it over in the best, warmest way possible so that it could be well received. Um, don't allow your daughter to choose for her own the Instagram sensation of of the month. It's important that um, just because somebody has tons of followers on Instagram doesn't mean that she is the right fit for your child to teach your child the proper Chabad, Halacha, and Hashkafa, and Minhag. This cannot be... Um, I could, this cannot be overstated. Unfortunately, we have seen too often the negative effects of girls being taught incorrectly. And I and I actually had the pleasure. It was a pleasure. I had to reteach quite a few girls who were um, who needed to be retaught the halakha, and they walked away home with like they were like, "Mrs. Sperlin, thank you so much. This is what I was missing." And the next step, you choose who your college teacher is. And you shouldn't just do it without conversing with your daughter and ask your daughter to speak to her friends. You can do that. But a really good piece of advice, and I love this, is when the mother calls me. After I hang up with the mother, I tell the mother, now have your daughter call me. Um, but I do say, um, one mother called me, for example, that um, you know her daughter grew up, did not grow in a Chabad community. Her parents are Chabad. She went to like a Besiako school and the mother called me. She was very concerned because her daughter didn't really get that much chassidish and chassidish and hug and chassidish expressions. And, and she's like, just my daughter might not understand everything that you say and be clear and, and explain everything. And if the mother would have called me, told, you know, not have called me, I would have been, I wouldn't have known this. And it, it's very helpful when you call the college teacher and you let her, you know, if you, if you think there's any pertinent information that she can use that will help her. If your daughter's more visual, if your daughter needs to hear things twice sometimes, the really important stuff, make sure it repeated to my daughter. She needs to hear it a couple times. Um, all of these tips can only be helpful to your daughter's learning process. And then I say to them, okay, now have your daughter call me. And I'll, and I'll speak to the daughter also. I'll, get, I'll ask her other questions. Um, it, it's important to have a relationship to a certain extent. Now, the... To, a little bit the same concept of helping find a chassan teacher holds true. The boys really go more according to what their friends did. And um, you may not have the same influence on who your on who your son, depending on your relationship. It goes back to the relationship. Um, and it's important to that that you that you do that you do the research. Do the research for your for your son and say, well, this is what I heard about so and so. Where are you planning on going? Or this is what I heard about so and so. And and it's and it's interesting to know that the chassan teachers do have. There are some that are well known for giving well rounded halacha and well rounded hashkafa. 
And then there are some that are just, they're, they're great. They're just a straight up, not as much hashkafa. And then some mothers find, you know what, if you're going to him, that's great. But maybe we'll go to him just for one or two sessions. We'll pay for it to give him a lip, to give you a hashkafa class. But it's important to know that you, that these options are out there. It's important to know um, so that again, your children are well informed and that they are well taught. But the whole concept of this is the first step that you need to take. This is the first thing that you need to do. Your next step is going to be picking a wedding date. So like I said before, in Crown Heights, we don't always have the luxury of planning a wedding date around your daughter's period. That doesn't always work. And to avoid chuppas nida, we don't always have that luxury. And, um, at least, and we don't want a long engagement. So that's one of the reasons why we don't do that. So you have to know your options. You have to know your options. You know, every time a Kala sits down by me and I ask her about her period, they all pick up their phones and they have it all written down on their phone and they know uh, they, it's all, it's all there. And, and when you're, when you, this goes back also to the, having a relationship with your daughter beforehand, making sure that she has the app, making that sure she, making sure she has been tracking her period. If you know, if your daughter's 16, 17, so you know what, get this app, start tracking your period. Let's see what's going on. And if you do see that there, you will need some form of hormonal help to avoid chopas nida, well, there are, there are, there are people to go to. We have Rita Sachs um, in Crown Heights, um, who is very proficient at this. It's something that she does very often. Again, now, now I'm not sure how exactly how it's going to work. Without doctor's visits, you would have to call her. And I'm sure if you have the calendar, I, I, honestly, I don't know. Um, but it's worth a phone call. And if Rita, Mrs. Sachs doesn't work, then you pick up the phone to the most marvelous, wonderful organization called Taharinu, whose mission is exactly that. Their mission is to make us Tahar and help you get Tahar. And maybe, Hasi, if you're listening, you could post their phone number and you call them up have all your daughter's information about her period um, and your wedding date, and they will let you know what your options are. And again, have as much information as you can. Which brings us to our next trend that you may or may not know about, and that is that many girls come and sit down in, in my college class, and it's just, they assume that the normal, regular thing to do is to go on birth control for six months after their wedding. And again, every, every case is individual. Every girl is different. And it's important to understand that, um, that it, they think it's the expected thing to do. And Mrs. Morozov is going to delve into that a little bit deeper after, um, when I'm, when I'm done what the Rebbe has to say and, and, and things like that. Um, regarding um, Taras Mishpacha, keeping the mitzvah of Taras Mishpacha and the many halachas and the details involved. It's really, really important that you um, give your daughter and you relate to your daughter only positive messages about keeping this mitzvah about keeping the mitzvah of Taras Mishpacha. If you have had negative experiences in the past, and, and we all have, she doesn't need to know about them now. And I will say that, uh, and it's imperative that she not know about them now because they want to have a positive feeling going into it. And we really try as college teachers, all of us as a whole, to encourage them to ask Shilas and to show them how easy it is to ask Shilas. And, and your support 
And not giving them your negative stories goes a long, long way. We do. We tell you. We tell our colleagues to you know, reach out to your mother about this family minhug. We reach reach out to your mother about a, a different family minhug. And 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 again, that all goes back to the relationship that you have, and built and and working out a relationship where you communicate with your daughter. But but again, positive positive um, stories and thoughts about Tara's Mishpacha help a lot, and. We really have a lot of wonderful rabbanim out there now that are that are working really hard to make this mitzvah easier. And as mothers, you also have the tremendous chus of taking your daughter to the mikvah, making her first mikvah appointment. Um, and it, and it can be a beautiful, beautiful, heartwarming experience. There are also three mikvahs now to choose from in Crown Heights, each one magnificent in its own right. And talk to her about it. Which one, you know, which one does she want to go to? Um, all of those things, helping her get, you know, all, helping her prepare. Again, things are a little bit different with Corona, and we'll try to do a little bit later. Um, but again, relay positive, good feelings about this mitzvah, even if you've had some experiences that are not so stellar in the past. So now that you've done these two things, you've um, helped. Find the chassan kal teacher. Help um, plan the wedding date. What do you need to know about our role as kal teachers? How much and to what extent do we get involved? So we are here to teach. We are here to teach them, obviously. Beyond that, we are constantly available for support for our kals. Newly marrieds call us. And we are available for them for as long as they need us. For some of us, I, I know college teachers, we, students, college, sorry, married women, reach out to their college teachers years after. They're having their first baby. They're, you know, what to do, all that stuff, whenever that may be. And we are there for them to provide constant, constant, constant support. But having said that, it's really important for you to know what is not our job where our job begins and where our role begins and where our role ends. We are not professionals. We are not trained in a professional capacity. And we we would don't presume to be. We've been given tremendous knowledge and we know where the resources are to send you. Um, we have reviews. We have, um, when we see an issue, when there we think there might be an issue, somewhat of a red flag, we don't ignore it. We have the. We try our best to encourage that you reach out, and you ha- teach your daughter to reach out. Um, we have a we have a post chasana class, a required post chasana class, about three months after the wedding to see just how they're doing. But you have to know you can go to mikvah.org, m-i-k-v-a-h.org, and click on the referrals and every type of. Um, Anything you might need, any resource you might need is listed on that website. Um, from doctors to colleagists, pelvic floor specialists, therapists, anything is written right there. And if you have a specific question about any of them, you could reach out to one of us and we could see if we know anything. And if we don't, I would never, this is what I tell everybody that I teach. I only talk about what I know. What I don't know, I will do my best to send you to the right place. So in terms of 
Um, I actually had a caller who called me about um, that she was she was experiencing pain in intimacy, and she was being married for a few months, and and it wasn't the the norm. And I, I reached out. I found the name of a pelvic floor specialist for her that was on the referral list. And and after that, I didn't hear from her. And a few months after, she gave me a call back and she said, you know, she changed my life. So they do know that they could reach out to us. But at a certain point, our role ends. And we send them somewhere else. What else do you need to know in terms of the wedding? In terms of the wedding planning, we took care of that. And now what comes next? So. You may not know this, or you may know this, but most photographers and videographers, when you sign a contract with them, you um, are signing away basically your rights to the picture and giving them a right to post your pictures on social media. You would have to pay them to not post it. And I just want you to know that that is an option. Um, they say that that's how they make their pranasa by posting your wedding, but you have an option to say, this is my life. This is, I want to keep it private. Please don't post my pictures. What is the fee? And you need to tell them straight up front. I, I don't want them and be firm because some of them will argue with you or after the wedding, they'll say, Oh, there's such a beautiful picture. Can I please post this? It's sometimes a little bit tough, but if you pay, sign the contract and you pay the fee, they shouldn't bother you. Um, when you are, um, talking to the photographer. It's very important that you tell the photographer that you are using that according to our Chabad Rabbanim, a chassan and kala taking pictures where they are clearly touching each other is not okay. And you need to tell the photographer this beforehand so that the photographer does not pressure or ask them if they want to take these pictures or put them in poses that clearly are exactly what the Chabad Rabbanim say are not okay. But if you don't give the photographer a heads up and you don't give the videographer a heads up, then who knows? And you don't want them to put your kids on the spot either. You want being prepared and having all this knowledge now helps for the day of the wedding and everything. It just makes everything run more smoothly. Um, when you, at the actual wedding itself, you may be very, very busy. You are going to be. You're going to be you know, not able to focus on all of these things. And you be having this awareness um, helps to for the smoothness of the wedding. Another thing that you may not know of a new trend that has become the norm, and that is that the chasen and kala, when they come into the hall, they come into the hall, both of them together on the women's side, and they run through together the you know, what are the, arch the arches, whatever, however the arches are, but together they run through these arches. This is completely not okay. And A, you have to tell your kids that, like, okay, this is what we're going to do. And what are we going to do? You're going to walk in the, the door, the kala is going to go through, and the husband is going to go this way. Now, going this way, I'm, I'm mind you, I'm using Alitara Mazag as my frame of mind. Um, going this way means that this way, the husband has to have a path to pass through which requires planning on your part. You have to make sure that there's no bar there. If there is a bar there, there's a place for the chassan to go. It's all, you don't want your, your son to be standing by the mechitza and he can't go anywhere because it's blocked. It's all about being um, pre-planning and, um, and, and it seems small, but 
at the time, it's like, oh, we did not think this through. So that's why we're here. Um, next, music. Mentioned it a little bit before. Music is a, you know, you might have different tastes in music than your children. This is where I said compromise. Figure it out beforehand and let the band know the kind of music that you are going to be playing. Let the band know that no one can ask or request music except for whoever you designate. We are designating these two people. Don't listen to anybody else. And because, again, at a wedding, a lot of times people are running to the band, play this, play that, play this. If you go to the band beforehand and you tell them very clearly what you want to be played, what you don't want to be played, who you should listen to, these are all things that you can prepare beforehand. Um, and then this, finally, um, there is also, regarding um, uh, dancing, Akala dancing with her brothers and her sisters, all I'll say is this. Men cannot see women dance. So if you do do this, the dancing between the father and the kala has to take place in a corner, not in the middle of the women's side. It can't be done that way. And finally, I'm going to get to the most disturbing new trend, which you may or may not know about. I know. I never knew about this. And that is um, the chasen and kala going after their wedding to a location photo shoot. Yes, after the wedding, when weddings are over at midnight or 1230, and then they're getting in a car and they're going with a photographer to a shoot, um, who knows where, how far away. And it's, it's um, there are so many things with this practice that, um, that are disturbing. And the younger generation thinks that it is the coolest, trendiest thing that you can do. And it's kind of like they're losing what this holy day means. And on, on, on a personal note, a lot of what they do is posted on Instagram. A lot of these photographs become public. These videos become public. And their first opportunity as Hassan and Kala to be alone is broadcast. And it's, a, it's taking their, what you could even call their intimate moments together and cheapening it and making it not special anymore. And they, they don't always see this because to them it's, oh, it's so fun. We're going to get a beautiful picture. But it's bigger than that. Even on a, on a practical level, they're not going to get home to their apartment, to their hotel room till 2 a.m. And they're exhausted at that point. Their adrenaline is crashing at that point. And, 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 Delaying the mitzvah due to fatigue or or is is just not what we want them to do. It's our responsibility and as far as we can to try. And I say try because we do not demand and we do not command um, our grown children. We can only gently and wisely guide them and explain to them that this trend detracts from the kedusha of the day. It really does. And Again, I'm going to stress that every child is different and every child reacts differently to our advice and our input. And that's okay. And that's to be expected. Um, but being armed with all this information that I gave you and what with Mrs. Morozov is going to give you um, is always better than being, like I said, blindsided. I had a friend call me about, oh gosh, must have been about like six months ago. 
and her son had just gotten engaged. And she's like, Ruthie, quick, help me. My son just called me and she said, my son came to me and he asked me, Ma, what are the rules and the guidelines about, um, what does the Rebbe say about how much time I, me and my colleagues spend together? And, she's like, and he said to me, he goes, Ma, if you exaggerate, I'm not gonna listen. So she called me right away. And I said, I gave her my notes. I went to my notes. I read it all off to her. Um, um, I read it to her. Exactly what the Rebbe says, the amount of time, everything. She's like, okay, phew. And I said to her, I, said, I just want to let you know, it's a beautiful thing that your son came to you and asked you this. And 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 it, show, it's, it shows a good thing. And it's, it's really helpful. So before, um, usually, um, this is where I end. And I switch off to Mrs. Morozov. However, I do have to take a little side um, journey into a quarantine wedding. Um, why, why do I have to do this? In today's time and today's matzav, and I'm dealing with this personally right now, um, it, we have to understand, um, because we have to know what to say and what not to say to our sons and our daughters. And I stress mostly daughters, because for daughters, this is very difficult and painful that they're not getting their dream wedding with all the people that they wanted, with the place that they wanted, that they may end up getting married in their backyard. And we have to know what to say and, and really what not to say. And again, I don't I don't really know. Like I, I'm, I'm kind of flying by the seat of my pants also. I have no idea what's going to be with my wedding. But I'm, I, I did actually, I will say two things. Number one, don't minimize her concerns or her feelings. Um, listen to her, acknowledge her sadness and, and, and her stress, because it does add a stress. I don't know where it's going to be. I don't know what's going to be. Acknowledge it and don't bring in your feelings. Like, I'm not telling you to be all, eh, it's going to be beautiful. You can, but if your daughter knows you're being fake, that's not going to help. Um, but don't bring in your stress. Don't don't bring that. Have your husband be your person. Have, you know, your mashpia. Have your sister. Um, have somebody else bounce off of that because that's not going to help her. You need to really be there for her. And um, I will tell you this. I will tell you this, and I hope it's helpful. I had uh, quite a few kalas that were scheduled to get married from Purim till Pesach. Quite a few. And, um, and the rules every single day kept changing. Can we do it? Can't we do it? How many? This many, that many, where should we do it? Who, uh, the whole thing. Can my parents come? Can my parents come? Can my grandparents, everything. And I will say this. Um, and a lot of them were calling me, asking me for advice. And, and I did send them to a Rav and they, they were speaking to a Rav, but what should I do, Mrs. Berlin? And I tried my best. And I will say this. I called uh, all of my colleagues. Almost every single one of them did get married. Some of them actually got married earlier, and they're so grateful that they did. One of my, I, I made sure um, one of my calls was supposed to get married on a Monday, and on Thursday morning, I I I, pick, I WhatsApped her. I'm like, hi, how you doing? How are your preparations going? And she calls me back. She goes, oh my goodness, Mrs. Pearl, and I forgot to tell you, I'm getting married today instead of Monday, with such excitement and such joy. I did make a point to call every single one of my calls after their wedding. And, um, and every single one of them, even though there was stress and sadness and anxiety over it, was so thrilled to be getting married. They were so happy that they, they just got married. And I did something today that um, I, I don't know if the mothers, if all of you know this WhatsApp chat, 
um, called Yakar Mikol Yakar. And it was a WhatsApp chat that was created to um, for all the girls getting married during this trying time. And um, one there there is a mother on the chat, and I and I asked her today. I said, you know what? Could you put on the chat a question for me? Can you ask your girls um, what they absolutely do not want to hear? Not and what's what 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 helps them? And I'm just going to read to you a few of the things that they said because they're really really good. I even asked my daughter a few of the things that she thought, and I'm gonna, you know, I'll intersperse a few different things. So, but I'm gonna be reading from from their from my what they said. The best thing for me is validation, and not trying to say why getting married now is positive. I appreciate when family members are actively working on trying to make the wedding special under the circumstances, like brainstorming ideas and ordering things to make it nice and as close as possible to normal that can be. Um, here's a list of things that this particular girl keeps hearing, and she makes so much sense. Being asked, when is your wedding supposed to be? Being asked, if are you getting married in the end? Being asked, where is the wedding going to be? Being asked if you'd like to push off your wedding, and if you thought about it, or discuss the idea with people you respect and what your parents think, how you feel about all this. Sympathy for people that are not close to me. Oh, that must be so hard. I'm just reading her words, and I think that she's so spot on on a lot of it. I bet you never imagined getting married this way. This will definitely be, be a wedding you'll never forget. Well, who forgets their wedding anyway? Being asked specific de details like, will there be dancing? Will there be a video? Do you have someone to even do your makeup? Were you able to get a gown? Like all of these things sort of stress the girls out. Um, then she wrote, um, uh, when someone said to her, well, at least you're saving money. <sighs> um, and so at least the people that really matter will be there and not the unimportant extra people. Well, who says? Maybe the most important people won't be there and that's hard. Yeah, like I'm making a wedding. I don't think my parents are going to be there for the first time. It's really hard. Um, I do not appreciate being asked what's going to happen as the fact we all don't know what the situation will look like in more than a month. So why add the stress and the disappointment? Clear, someone also said, like, she doesn't want to hear from people who don't know her. You know, so if you know somebody, if you have friends, let them know. Like, you know, if you know someone's getting married, stop asking them when are they getting married. Um, someone said, do not say. It's all hashkacha pratis. This was meant to be ever since the world was created. She said, do say. Your wedding is going to be gorgeous no matter what. And I'll make sure that happens. So this was the smallest of uh, from the girls that are on this chat, what they appreciate hearing, what they don't appreciate hearing. And um, I just want to say that um, I think I, I'm going to turn the chair over to uh, Mrs. Mraza. And um, I truly hope that whatever I gave over now was helpful. And if, um, if you have any questions, please submit your questions. And Mrs. Mraza, you are ready to go. Hi, everybody. Um, I'm talking to myself, which makes it a little uncomfortable. But uh, I'll keep smiling, so I'll to have somebody smile back. So first of all, I want to add um, just a few little, a few little details to uh, um, a few little details to what Ruthie mentioned. So she was talking about having a healthy relationship with your children. Um, even if we have the healthiest relationship, we can have children on from you know different ends of the religious spectrum or different ends of uh, the style of weddings that they feel is gorgeous and things like that. And there may be some conflicts 
or some differences of opinion. And she mentioned about working it through and compromising. So I want to add, it's important to have sometimes a rough involved because when, when it is a matter of even minhagim, never mind halachas, if it's about dancing or whatever, um, it's good to talk it through with an experienced Rav who could guide you so you truly feel that the wedding is done exactly how Hashem wants it to be, with Awas Yisrael and with joy and with good feelings, both for the parents and for the children. So I just wa wanted to add in that little detail of discussing matters over with the Rav if, it, if, it, if, if you see that there's, in your opinion, there could be maybe different standards, etc. I also want to add that uh, we're talking about our children, but in every wedding, Bar Hashem, there are two families, two sides. And sometimes there will be differences of opinion as far as standards are concerned between different sides of the family. And of course, we want to have the greatest um, statement of shalom, shalom bias, shalom between the sides. So sometimes also, it's, um, I think it's important to also review with a rov, uh, if you feel uh, what's more important, you know, shalom is for sure extremely important. But there may be some minhagim that are also very, very important. And you could be surprised how the rov may come up with ideas that can make it workable for everybody, that everybody could really enjoy. Parents, chas and the kawa, both families, etc. That the wedding is really a happy and a memorable occasion. Another point I want to mention. Um, just just for clarification, so Ruthie mentioned about um, our Rabbanim um, don't want Chas and Kala taking touching pictures. So I want to clarify that if their clothing touch each other, of course, if she's Tahira, and it's an Edo pose, that's fine. We're talking about when their hands are touching each other, etc., that's not okay. And if I think it's important that you call your own Rav for cl clarification in this in great detail because sometimes we see so much of one thing and sometimes maybe we feel challenged because everyone's doing something different and our children want something different. You want to clarify on what what's right to do in your situation. Another little clarification that I actually I probably can elaborate a little bit more when it comes to the dancing, but I just want to clarify that um, it's different in halacha if you dance with your father and grandfather or the chatzim dances with his mother or gran and grandmother versus brothers and sisters. It is, it's, it's different in halacha. Um, a father can dance with his daughter or a grandfather with the granddaughter and, and so too the chatzim could dance with the mother, the grandmother. However, and of course other men cannot see any women dance, but even so, whether it should be done in public or not, is up for debate, and there's reasons for that. And therefore, um, if even though it's mutter and halacha, if let's say the, the father of the kala comes to the kala side and they dance and no other men watch it, and etc., but still, it, it, you have to be careful to find out first from Yerov if this should be done and how it should be done. It's not uh, like, it, you have to be careful. The next thing, on, and about brothers and sisters, that's really a, in a whole different category. And uh, I don't yet know of a Chabad Rav that permits brothers and sisters dancing together at a wedding, like holding hands in a circle. It, it's something that you should uh, clarify with your Rav just to make sure that your wedding is done the right way. And we'll get back to that a little later. I also want to mention that Ruthie was, she said she was in touch with her Kawas who were getting married, you know, uh, between Purim and Pesach. So I, I also want to mention if you're like the mother or a shvigar 
of one of those couples that began their marriage quarantined. They had to stay home. They couldn't go out. There's no kegel. There's no work. There's no job. Or if they're quarantined, you know, it's either with a shvigar or the shver, or the shvigar or the shver from the other side, each one. It does present an extra strain on their shallow bias. So it's really good if you create for them space, um, emotional space and physical space. And uh, we are in touch with our callus, with different ideas how to navigate such a situation. Definitely a different beginning of a marriage for many, and uh, tools are, are, are important. But um, as it's a sham, I hope those days will be over, so I won't elaborate on those now publicly because hopefully they'll be unnecessary for the future callus. Another thing I want to mention from um, a college teacher's perspective about mothers of callus. So number one, um, and this the first part is not just about mothers about mothers of callus, but others also about mothers of Hassanim. So I want to mention that the period of engagement and marriage and transitioning into that new stage of life is stressful. There could be there are physical changes, there are emotional changes. There are a lot of things happening at the same time, and, and the level of anxiety and stress will go up, up a notch or two or more, no matter who it is, uh, who, who it is that we're talking about. So a few things on that. Um, as parents, we should be able to know our children well enough, and it's important that they have their own mechanism, how to resolve a stressful situation, how to calm down, how to relax. Um, if they have somebody to talk to, if they start feeling anxious. Um, it's not the time during the engagement to stop the therapy, stop the medication, and just like shush it all up and let's get, just get you married for a carrot. It's time to provide more support for people who have anxiety and stress and all that. More support, it's emotional support, or whatever it is, that the transition, um, extra support is needed during this transition time. I also want to add another point um, as far as um, from the college teacher's perspective. Um, there are some girls that are very aware of their body. Um, they're very comfortable with themselves. And there are some girls whose whole concept is very, very new. And even if you're not your daughter's college teacher, it, mother to daughter, if you have the right relationship, you can discuss what they learn in college classes, if they have to do a badika, do they need help, um, do they need tips, um, buy them the badika cloths, ask them if they want to go to the bathroom and try if they need any help, if you have any ideas. Sometimes a kala is not sure that she's doing the badika properly, it causes a lot of stress. Um, we have, In many communities, we have here in Crown Heights, a bodeca as a nurse that could help be helpful. Uh, to reassure the kala that she's going in the right place and she's going, she's doing a proper radika, etc. Um, offer that support, offer to take her, offer to be there for her when these changes are taking place. Of course, depending on your relationship, but for men, many, it's such a huge relief. Like when, when we go through, um, when I meet with my kala's privately, so closer to the wedding, so we go through the whole schedule. This is the day you can do the hefsitara, this is queen days, two weeks a day, this is when she is. This is when there's Nates and says, you know, we figure it all out. You have the decal I give them a pack of decal claws. And then I ask them, the day you're doing your half satire, is your mother going to be there for you? Did, did you discuss this 
with your mother, like when you're doing the half-sick tar and all that? She goes, no, my mother doesn't talk to me about it. But many of them want to, want it, and they want their mother's support just to make it like more user-friendly, user more easier for them. So if you have that good relationship, it, you know, offer, you know, of course, we don't step boundaries. We don't overstep the boundaries. Don't, you know, peer and pry in places we don't, you know, you shouldn't be. But if you can offer that positive attitude and that concrete down-to-earth help, it makes a big difference for many. Also, when it comes to the mikvah appointments, I just want to make you aware of, again, a new trend. We do have a lot of older girls, older, I don't know what it means, older girls, maybe more mature and independent girls. They do their own thing. They have their own jobs. They make their own money. They, you know, they make their own life choices. And all of a sudden, you're, the mother is saying, okay, I made an appointment for take you to a mikvah tomorrow night. She goes, oh, I already went last night. So actually, Arov actually asked me to give over to the mothers. Um, you offer to your daughter, you could drive her to the, when do you want to make an appointment? Can I drive you to the mikvah? I'll sit outside, I'll sit in the waiting room, I'll pay for it. To be involved in that aspect, just it's the Yiddish Aveg. It's something about the Messiah that the mother is giving over the mitzvah to her daughter. It's something that from mother to daughter, from daughter to, you know, all the generations, woman to woman, from generation to generation, we transmitted this mitzvah. And um, just talk about it in advance. It's, it's almost like a bacher, a boy is becoming bar mitzvah. And, you know, there's the Hanukkah's tefillin. The father's the one that lays the tefillin the first time for his son to practice. And he's giving over, you know, the link of the chain of the new man in Am Yisrael. Could you imagine if the father comes and says, okay, Bobola, not Bobola, Ingola, here, I want to help you. It's the first day we're putting on tefillin. And, and the boy says, oh, Todd, don't worry. My, I already did it yesterday. My friends already showed me. It's, it's, it's not correct. So some of the girls don't know that it's really not, it's like, it's it's a proper thing to do. There's something called maybe etiquette, you know? If, if your daughter asks you to watch her to be loved, you say, hey, I'm not, I'm, we don't have to take it that far. But being part of the process of being a bit more involved. Okay, so that's just a little bit more um, uh, uh, little notes on what Ruthie said. And again, I just want to repeat again, it's really challenging to me to steer it myself. I should have put some puppets in the background, like some puppets or something. But I'll try my best and I'll try to, you know, become a bit more enthused. I don't see any facial expressions. I don't see any reactions. So it's, it's a bit more difficult, but we'll, as a Shashem, rise to the challenge. So I just want to give you a bit more. Um, Ruthie was talking about things to be aware of about the wedding and last week i i think it's a girl did a phenomenal job and uh, you could that a video i think is posted on mikvah.org about just the reasons behind them and hugging of the wedding so and uh, i'm just want to talk a little bit more about that and then we'll backtrack to the period of engagement uh i want to address that in a bit more detail trends that are happening now that we should be aware of and what we can discuss with our children i just want to mention that in the olden days, we felt holy. We just, we had opportunities that were granted to us that made us feel it's a holy time. For example, I don't know if you remember, we got the biggest gift that the chassan could give the kawa is, is a tehillim that the Rebbe used. And there was a whole way that that happened. Or we, on the wedding, we, there was the chidus klolis. 
uh, where the Rebbe addressed the uh, Hassanim and Kaos and their parents, and we got to get a doll where we passed by. Uh, and there was the Hassan getting, the Rebbe handing his own siddur for the Hassan to daven with uh, Mincha, the day of the wedding, and then how we timed the wedding, um, the chuppah, when the Rebbe was coming back from the oil. So after the chuppah, the Hassan Kaos could get a bracha from the Rebbe and get dollars. That whole situation, actually, it reminds me of a little incident uh, by one of my siblings' wedding. Um, I remember clearly, um, it, we mistimed the badekin. We were waiting and waiting for the Rebbe to come back from the aisle, and it was getting late. And in those days, there was no cell phone. Like, not everybody had a cell phone. I don't know what the mechanism was. I think Rabbi Krinsky had a huge, big box of some phone mechanism. And I don't know where from Oetaira they figured it out, but there was some mechanism in place. And um, we ran to do the badekin. The Rebbe was on the way back. It so happened to be that right at the end of the chuppah, the Rebbe had, was coming back from the oil already. And when the Rebbe walked up the three steps in front of 770, they were just about to begin the final bracha of the Sheva brachas under the chuppah. And the Rebbe stopped and put his hand on the mezuzah, like on the way in, waited for the bracha, said amen, and walked in. Now, that alone brings a holy atmosphere. Nobody has to tell, give you a whole speech, how a wedding is so holy and there's this kedusha. You know, it just was. Nowadays, um, momentarily, Mashiach is arriving, and in a split second, all that will turn over, and we'll, everything will be like fall into place. But in the meantime, um, we have to put extra effort to appreciate the holiness of the moment because we're in a situation where the darkness of the world actually is so tremendous and it's so confusing what we're exposed to that we can get really confused. And that's why um, I want to encourage every parent and for sure every class and kala, but also the mothers and fathers to read certain swaram just to get the right knowledge and perspective. And that once we have that perspective and that knowledge and by osmosis, we'll, have, we'll be able to have a good feel of how to make the right, it will help us to make the right choices. So there's Rabbi Dubov, Sikhas in English has a, a book from Rabbi Dubov, just a list of the Menhagen of the wedding. It's called Mazel Tov. Uh, of course, there's Eternal Joy. Volume one is about Shaduchim, two is about engagement and wedding, and three is about Shalom Bayis. We have also from Sichas in English, The Jewish Home. And the, it's a translation of the Sefer Habayis Yehudi from Rabbi Karasik, which is more the Hasidic explanations and background, why we do the Menhagen of the wedding. Rabbi Wingirl will show him there's a safer, I forgot what it's called, that he also discusses the meaning of different menhagim of the wedding. If you read Lashon Kaidish, there's Shai Shaduchin, Shai Nesuin. And of course, we have from Maznayim a, a terrific book, Maznayim publishing company is called Made in Heaven. It goes through all the wedding customs, why we do them. And when we understand why we do them, uh, we just we gain an appreciation of the importance of it. And once we know what the menhagim are, again, a very important sikha to learn as well is the sikha of Yudalit Kislev Tavshin Yudalit, the Rebbe's 25th wedding anniversary. And that, that famous sikha where the Rebbe said, this is the day that connected you to me and me to you, or maybe the other order, I don't remember. But there the Rebbe mentioned the importance of following every single minute to the detail. And nowadays we have more menhagim than ever before. Um, you may learn some menhagim that you were not aware of when you got married or just like me, there was some in Hagen I'm teaching. I had no idea when I got married. But like the Rebbe says, um, gives the mushal. First of all, the Rebbe says, the more darkness there is in the world, the more we have to combat the, the darkness with extra light, which is those extra men hugging. And also, the Rebbe brings the Maimar Chazal that says, 
you open up for me the opening, like the needle, the point of a needle or the little needle head of the needle. And if you do that little, little thing, I will respond. If you do that little tiny thing, I will respond and I'll open up for you a door as wide as the entrance of the Ulam, which was, I think was like 20 amas wide. It was like expansive and humongous. So there brought that, that some of these minhagim seem insignificant, but really this little minig is a source of tremendous bracha. So it's important that we are aware of those minhagim. Like one of the minhagim the Rebbe mentions there in that sicha is like the nusach of the, of the invitation, we don't change. And not only do we not change the nusach of the invitation, but if you look on the Hebrew side, there are four paragraphs, and the first letter of every paragraph spells ahava. And the Fidik Rebbe didn't want that those letters should stand out. So even changing the font of the letters of an invitation that goes straight to the garbage. Even that is something we don't tamper with. So on one hand, we have to be aware of every little minute. And on the other hand, we also have to know realistically what, how we can bring, how we can be able to apply those minhagim, of course, in a way of love and peace and, and positive energy, because we all want that the peer of engagement and the marriage should be a, the most beautiful time that can be between parents and children and children and parents, and we want to give them like the royal send-off, so to speak. So I want to talk a little bit more now about the period of engagement. So we have, first of all, the chasen and kala, in halacha, they are strangers, just like any bachar and medal. Yes, they got to know each other to the point that they're secure enough to get married to each other, bar Hashem, with their Rebbe's brachas and the parents' agreement, bar Hashem. And at this point, we've, um, even though they're engaged, but halachically, it is a iser min ha for them to hug and kiss. People have this feeling that shomer, to be shomer negiya, is like very good for your marriage and it's the right thing to do. But people are not aware of the seriousness of this. I remember a couple years ago, Mara Garlitz asked me that Rabbi Tzinner from Bar Park called her and said, please tell the girls in a seminary that affectionate touch between chas and kala is also just like eating chazer. And if you put it in those words, maybe they'll take it more seriously. So we have to be aware. Now, what happens is nowadays, many chasanim and kalas, by the time they commit to get engaged, they are rather very comfortable with each other. Nowadays, they meet many more times than we used to meet uh, we, we, years ago. Um, they want to have a much bigger sense of security. Uh, they want to feel more ready for it. Uh, more, they have more doubts for whatever reason. This is the world that we live in. And by the time they get engaged, Baruch Hashem, they're quite comfortable with each other. Still, we must follow the Rebbe Sayyidah to limit the exchanges between each other or in the time that's spent together. It's to the greatest advantage that the Chas and Kala limit their time together based on the Rebbe Sayyidah. In other communities, it's very, it's very different. You know, other Hasidic communities, you get engaged and you say goodbye to each other till you come to the Chuppah. But the Rebbe gave us a, a different Hayra, uh, uh, how we should conduct ourselves. We do meet once or, or talk either once a week or twice a week, depends how that's interpreted. We, in that limited fashion, to be able to maintain the proper positive attitude and security and excitement to come to the wedding. And the Rebbe was once a week, maybe twice a week for a couple hours. And the Rebbe didn't say how much time, but from Hassanim teachers, a couple hours, and that should be enough. In between those meetings, there is no need 
for communication. And let me give you feedback from this. I got most feedback from Rabbi Lipsker from California, who teaches many chasanim, and he is mashpia to many bachim who call him with this chasanim. That what happens is when there's constant um, back and forth and constant communication between the chasan kala, especially he said texting is the worst because a lot of times there's the words are misinterpreted and there are hurt feelings and people don't know and there's more confusion. But because of all that communication, what happens is they grow closer, either they go closer and closer to the point that they feel so close that we're putting them in a big nisayin not to touch each other. And know how many people cross that line, unfortunately, because that is, you go from point A to point B to point C to point B without any yellow light before the red light, that's what end, ends up happening, or has to show them even worse. And so the Rebbe's yellow light was there for a very healthy reason. So there's no need to communicate between each other. And something else happens when there's that constant communication. When you're always chatting and chatting and chatting and catching up, what you ate for breakfast and what you ate to lunch, and I went and I did and I feel and I this, by the time they meet each other for that once a week or twice a week longer meeting, they already discussed everything. They, they have nothing to catch up in about. And now they end up crossing those lines and having really inappropriate conversations or getting into some disagreements that they don't even know how to resolve yet. And then they start questioning and it creates a more difficult predicament. So it's important that we know that the same Hira that the Rebbe gave years ago, that same Hira is for today, not to make it more difficult because when we have the proper boundaries and the proper borders, and like today, it was in today's Chitas, the beginning of Kedoshim, when, when we make fences around Erva, when we make those fences and those guards that we shouldn't trespass inappropriateness in male-female relationships, that's where the Kedusha could rest. And we want the Shekhinah to rest between the couple. So they have to know what's right and wrong. Does it mean absolutely no communication? He could call and say, good Shabbos, it's okay. Um, if there's some technical information, what's the, I have to sign a legal document, what's your English birthday? Yes, they could communicate. Well, and if, if they need to know more than that, pick up the phone. If, if your sister got engaged, you don't have to wait till you meet to say Mazel Tov, obviously. You could pick up the phone and call and say Mazel Tov. But those are exceptions to the rule, okay? Keeping those borders, keeping those barriers creates a, a healthy period of engagement where the chassan can focus on what he needs to, the kala can focus on what she needs to as an individual. Like Ruthie mentioned, the Rebbe calls it yukar, the time of engagement is more precious than precious. We want to increase in taira avayda and gimel chassadim to solicit the tremendous brachas that are available to come, are going to be showered down to us under the chuppah. And that's really what we should be investing in. And the chitter chatter and the chit chat between chassan kala really demotes the engagement and creates a lot of unnecessary tension. Um, the other rules between chasen and kala, you can read in the Svarim and eternal joy. Uh, I, I, I don't think I'm gonna list them here because they're quite clear, but I just wanted to, again, the trends of this, you know, some mothers are so confused. They say, wow, it's so nice. They're so comfortable with each other. They're always hanging around with each other. They're so good with each other. They can talk for hours and hours and hours and hours. I love it. I didn't have that when I was engaged. It's not okay because, again, 
you're putting them in an assayin of being over an isra You're putting them in an assayin, like the rabbi said, when there's distance, when there's closeness, when there should be distance, there'll be distance when they should be close. You, you're putting the relationship at risk. And also after the wedding, when it's time for the chasen to accomplish the mitzvah of marriage in the physical sense, when he when his hormones were played around with because he hung around with his girl for so long and he didn't do anything about it, nowadays we see that it takes so much longer for many of the chasanim to be able to perform the basic mitzvah of the physical aspect of kiddushin. Uh, I'm just saying that it's something that we should be aware of. And if we truly think this hayra is a treasure and it's a benefit for our children, we'll hopefully find the right words to convey it to them with full love and and full um, and good and good feeling. Another thing I want to mention um, about the period of engagement. Okay, sometimes your child will come to you and get really scared. Maybe I made a mistake. Maybe I chose the wrong person. Um, I'm really nervous about getting married. Um, he said something that really put me off. Um, I don't know if I want to go through all this. Please don't dismiss it that she had a bad day. Okay? Listen. Number one, listen and validate. Sometimes it's just a little nervousness. And if you listen and you validate, it, it's really nothing. Sometimes it's not really nothing. And sometimes, us parents are so invested in the wedding preparations. We already put so much money, so much time, and we sold the gowns, and we ordered the photographer, that it blinds us from addressing this issue of the fear or the anxiety, or maybe I made a mistake, and maybe I don't want to go through this. We, we, are, we are blinded, and we don't address it logically, and we don't work through it properly. A college teacher is not the proper person to work through it either. When a kawa comes to me, I have no idea where she's coming from. I don't know if she's always anxious. I don't know what her relationship skills are all about. I don't know if she has commitment issues. I have no idea. And all of a sudden she tells me she's so afraid to get married. I'm not the one to resolve that issue either. But Baruch Hashem, we have many experts in the professional field. I'm not going to list them here. That they have a hush because either they're trained in psychology or social work. Or sometimes they just have a hush. And figuring this out, um, that they help the kala or the chasen, often it's the chasen as well, work through what is the source of the anxiety. Is it our person? Is it the the chasen kala's personal issue that they're afraid of change? They're difficult in transition. They're afraid of commitment, or there's something truly wrong with the other party. Something that really is a serious red flag, and perhaps better break an engagement. The chas get stuck in a marriage that needs to, uh, in halacha, be chas v'shalom undone. This is something very serious that we shouldn't dismiss. When I, uh, in a few situations when I was involved with what later became clear as somebody in an abusive relationship that had to lay away, no, unfortunately, but al-pitera, the marriage had to be absolved. Uh, it's interesting that when I asked the girl, did you sense anything about this earlier? And very few would say during the um, during the dating, but definitely during the engagement. But either they um, covered up their own feelings because they didn't want to have to deal with it, it was too hard, 
or whoever they told to say, ah, it's nothing, you're a kawa, so like you're all, you're all nervous about something. Um, there is, um, you, you could probably go online, Lisa Tversky gives a, gives a really excellent workshop, I think maybe the Shalom Passport also does, just as parents, what will be the proper reactions if our child comes to us during the dating or during the engagement and breaks the news? How can we be helpful and not hinder to find out the proper outcome? Okay, so I hope you understand this and you're, you, if, if this happens, to be there for your children that way. So I, finally, um, I don't know how much longer I have. I want to address um, a little bit more about the dancing, okay? Just like we plan the menu to the T, I know I have family members that are, for example, gluten-free, you know, they're coming to my simcha, I have to work with a caterer through and through, what they put in the soup. Sometimes they don't even realize what means gluten-free, thickeners and all that, but we have to go like step by step by step by step. Um, or if somebody wants a certain shrita, we have to figure that out or whatever. We plan the menu and the decor, we go step by step. So, so to the dancing also, you don't want chas at the wedding when people are in a high and everyone's excited. You don't want chas something should end up happening and all of a sudden, hey, what just happened? And it's something that's not appropriate or even against halacha at our, at our wedding. So it's something that we have to walk through the chasen and the kala. So first of all, I just want to, for those of you, if you're aware of Chabad history, even before the 10th of Tzayim, one of the fierce battles that the Rebbe fought was the battle to reinstate proper mechitza, both in shuls and also in simchas. At that time, there could have been, you know, from people who were lax in matters of hair covering and in matters of mechitza. And it was something the Rebbe fought very hard for to put back in place Alpi Halacha. So we find there are letters of the Rebbe documented about the Rebbe's fierce feelings on this topic. And again, here the Rebbe was fierce in certain ways. I think they're in eternal joy for sure. In the Sefer Shidduch and the Nesuin, there's a couple listed one after another. So I just wanna share with you two of them just to understand the importance of thinking it through before and not waiting for something to happen by chance. Okay, one moment. Okay, so first of all, the Rebbe makes the Rebbe writes a letter to somebody who notified the Rebbe that they decided that they don't need a proper machutz at their wedding because um, they want the chasen kal and the family to be happy. And the Rebbe responded and said, "You know, you asked me to give a blessing for the engagement, which I did." And now you're telling me that you want to do something that will hinder the blessings to come through. And the Rebbe explains as follows, that everybody knows that Shalom Bayis is not a simple thing. And this was in Toshan Chof Beis, which is 1962. That marriage is very complex. And um, the only one who can ensure a healthy, happy marriage is the Abishter himself. And certainly at the wedding, where the wedding and I'm inserting this, the Rebbe didn't use in that letter the word Rosh Hashanah, but you heard last week from um, Mrs. Bro. Um, the, the way we behave at the wedding contains the entire future. So at Dafka at the wedding, for sure we want to make the Abishter ha happy. Because if the Abishter is happy, the Abishter will bless the couple with decades, tens of years of happiness. And how do, how do we see this? 
at during the benching, okay, the zimun for the benching at Shavar Brachas, right? If there's 10 people in the Shavar Brachas, we add in the zimun two words. We say, Baruch Okeinu, that's because there's a minion, and we add two words, Shahasimcha Bimo'inoi, which means there ha there's happiness in Hashem's abode. Lamaiwa, the Abishar is happy. And the din in Shukhanarch is that if the dancing is against halacha, Hashem is not happy, and we may not say those words in the zimun of the benching. So we know clearly what it says in Shulchan Aruch, what makes the Abishar happy, and Chassashon could take that away. And the Rebbe says, who in their right mind would want to take the responsibility on their shoulders to be part of something that will take away of Hashem, Hashem's happiness, which will in turn take away from the blessings that this couple will be blessed for years to come. You know, the Rebbe, you know, and then in a footnote, note bien, non base, the Rebbe adds, you may think that they were, you know, people that are happily married and didn't have the proper mechitza um, and they were happily marriage, married. Um, they were happily married. The Rebbe says, I know that those people are really suffering because they write to me the issues they're having in their marriage. The only reason I'm repeating this because it's quite sharp and it's quite powerful is because we have to understand it's something the Rebbe addressed. And as parents, we have to do our utmost to make sure that the mechitza is kept the right way. And whatever goes on between the men and the ladies is 100% kahalacha. And it's our responsibility to make that happen. No, the, the kala does not come to the men's side of the mechitza to everyone dance in front of her. Maybe in other communities that's acceptable, but not over here. There's a strict mechitza. In fact, um, in response, in response to, um, in response to somebody, a rov actually asked the Rebbe such a, a question, why be Chabad we don't have a mitzvah tans? And the Rebbe, um, and, and, and in fact, um, it's quoted in, uh, in Rebbe Simchana wrote in her memoirs, she described what went on at the time uh, when the wedding celebration of the Rebbe and, Rebbe Simchana, and the Rebbe Simchana Mishka took place, meaning the Rebbe, Sin, the Rebbe and the Rebbe Sin got married in Warsaw. Um, the Rebbe's parents could not attend the wedding, but there's, they, there was a wedding celebration without the Chazan Kala Begashmias, taking place in Yekaterinoslav. And the Rebbe Zahana described the wedding and the great love that the community showed to her husband, Rebbe Levik. And there, the Rebbe, the Rebbe Zahana describes that she danced with her father. So that's the question the Rebbe was posed, like, is dancing with your father okay? And in, in their Hasidim that do the mitzvah tans, it's so holy, like the Kala Zahkasefer Taira, and you... There's a way to dance um, with her. I mean, of course, holding a garto, but the chassam may be holding her hands. It depends on the communities. Why be chabad? We don't do this. That the kala dances, um, the mitzvah tans, etc. And there, there was a four-part answer, which I'm not going to go through the whole thing. But two, three things I want to mention, and maybe in a different order that the Rebbe mentions. One, the Rebbe says we see what this has evolved into, meaning perhaps in some communities. They know the halacha, they will keep strict halacha, the way the kala stands in the men's side, she doesn't move, she doesn't dance, she stands there like a soldier, and, you know, with a garto or whatever, with a chosin, she stands and, you know, shakes her hand three times, and they keep the tznius 100%. Because in those communities, if chas there would be a breach, um, the chosin kala would be like, 
who knows what would happen, <laughs> their safety, you know, and very, very strict. But in our community, Bar Hashem, we're a very open community and we are very accepting of many different levels and kinds of Eden. And perhaps for one person, they would be keeping the halacha, but that may lead and it had led to others being confused and maybe even more than confused, and they don't end up keeping the halacha properly. And um, the Rebbe mentioned it's important to ask the Rav of that community how you want to go about anything that has to do with dancing um, between the opposite gender. And I think there was a story that somebody wanted to, a, a big donor wanted to give a shliach a big donation if the shliach would do the mitzvah tans at the wedding. And the Rebbe said, no way. So even though by other chassidim, I mean, not no way, that's not the words I ever said. I used, I used the wrong Russian. But maybe by other Hasidim, it's a beautiful thing. But by Chabad, we don't do it at all. Okay? So just, and also this quote-unquote mezinketans, it's not a Chabad minig. It's not even a Yiddish minig. It comes from Greek mythology. So it's not something that we do. Just because it's the youngest or the last one getting married in the family, there's no excuse, there's no allowance for men and women to dance together at that time. There's always two sides of the family. Um, it's not, and it's inappropriate or it's also for women to dance in front of men that's not their father, not their son, maybe their brother, but there's always gonna be a brother-in-law. There's gonna be people watching. And it's also, it's also to cross a mechitza that way. And again, this is not a Chabad minig. It's true that Chabad family, some of them do it, as a trend, not as a minik, not because it's it's not a minik by any Hasidim, not even Chabad, this Mazinkatans. Um, together, the men and ladies. Um, it where does it, it yes, it comes from actually the Russian Yiddishists, the Yiddishists were a group of Eden that they um they believed uh, unfortunately that what keeps the Yiddish nation, the Jewish nation thriving and surviving, what keeps them thriving is um what keeps on what what keeps us thriving is the yiddish language and they created many beautiful skits and poems and songs in and literature in the yiddish language and they took this concept that comes from greek mythology and they developed this tune and the song in the mazinkatans and our generations that came from Russia, unfortunately, what kind of entertainment did they have? There was no Jewish novels and Jewish movies and Jewish anything. So this was Yiddish and it kind of filtered through and was brought over to America. But no, 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 it has nothing to do. It has nothing to do with Yiddishkeit. It has nothing to do with a Minik Chabad, a Minik Hasidim Chas V'Shalom, and not a Minik Yisrael either. Yes, if you want to celebrate gratitude, and I wish they should bench me, and every single person listening, and even those that are not, not listening, the Abish Bench, every single one of us, that we should be zaycha to marry off every one of our children together with our husbands in health and in good health, in all kinds of health, ruchmistic health, kashmistic health, emotional health. And we should be zaycha to that beautiful moment. And if we are zaycha that the youngest of the family is getting married, of course we want to show appreciation and gratitude to the Abishter, and we could celebrate it in a way that doesn't reach Hasrashon any halacha. So I think I'm going to pause right now, and we're going to have time for questions and answers. I want to just maybe add a few little details. One uh, about going to the oil. Okay, this is feedback from the Kalas. You know, and also, 
two more two things. The proper time to go to the mikvah is the night before the wedding. It's true that al piha lacha, you're allowed to go up to four nights before. However, the tzemach tzedek paskins, that it's best to go as close to the wedding, close to the wedding, not earlier than the night before. Some people, the night before is too difficult for a kala. She may be allowed to go during the day. Uh, of course, she has to make sure to do the hasiktara at the right time if she wants to go during the day, not at night. But you could check with your rav, but not earlier than that, unless it's a really special circumstance. We follow what it says by the tzemach tzedek. So I want to make you aware of that. Another thing is about going to, because let me put it in context. There's a lot to do the day of the wedding. There's the makeup and the nails and the hair and the this and the that. Da, 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 da. And sometimes, like the cow is like, I want to go to the mikvah already. I want to check it off my list. I want to oil, check it off the list, check it off the list, get it, get it like behind me. This is like really the wrong attitude. It's like, let me just get bench lichts, I'll get it behind me. Like our whole preparation is for lichtbenchen. That's the mitzvah that we're preparing for. It's not, like, oh, let me just run a bench lich and get it behind me and then move on to the next topic. So if, when we're doing the planning, we have to have the right perspective. We have to have the proper perspective that the mikvah is the main preparation for the holiness of the wedding day. And it's not just like a, by the way, let get it off the checklist. So too, going to the ayol is an important part of soliciting the proper blessings on that day. Uh, if you're here, if you want to go the night before, you want to go the morning, whatever it is, I'm not mixing into the night or the day, um, but we go the day of the wedding. It's part of how we prepare and draw down the brachas for the day. It shouldn't be, oh, we have exactly 10 minutes to go to the aisle, in and out, in and out. Yes, write the pan before, make sure it's ready. We tell our colleagues ideas what to write. They should put on before to save time and to make sure it's a proper pan. But it's not like, okay, 15 minutes, in and out, da, 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 da. This is the ruchnius. And make sure we invest proportionately the ruchnius and the gashmius. Okay, so we have, we have, um, Okay, so we, we need more elaboration. Maybe Ruthie and me could get on this together about wedding pictures. Okay, Ruthie, do you want to speak first and I'll speak second? Or I had a question um, about wedding pictures. Well, my daughter came to me and said, Ma, everybody is doing it. And how do you answer the, sorry, I'm not, how everyone's doing it? Well, why shouldn't I? Um, and I, um, I, I went back, and my answer to that would be even when I speak to my colleague, you know, the day is like, like Mr. Morozov said, it is a holy day. And years ago, we had this book of, of like, like Mr. Morozov said, all these things with the Rebbe walking by your wedding, like, wow. Um, and, and by doing that, you're completely losing what happening on that day and the importance of that day. This is what I tell my colleagues every time. Uh, I, I, and I will say one thing, a lot of them do what they want to do in the end anyway. I just think that it's important that you know when you're armed with information um, to properly respond to properly respond to your daughter when, or when she comes to you with this question. And um, I'm going to throw the ball back to Mrs. Morozov about taking pictures where, you know, that, that, that your children want to take the pictures, but you told the photographer that they shouldn't. You want to answer that, Mr. Rosev, or am I to keep going? Um, look, we can't get involved in that. If they do what they do, they do what they do. I mean, why should we, like, spoil it? Like, whatever happens, happens. But a lot of it comes with thought and planning. Um, I think over here, college teachers do have a, a, a big role in this, and Kassanam teachers, because sometimes they'll hear it better from us than from parents. And then 
between the parents and the children. We don't want to create uncomfortable feelings and rift. But um, I just want to make it a, a bit more clear. If we give the explanation and the arum, like the whys and the whats, sometimes they can make better choices. Okay? And this is not only for Hassan and Kawas. When, our, when we see pictures that are posted, it is very confusing because the pictures that we see, even from people that we respect and we feel should be Hasidish or whatever, some of them are not really up to par. And it's very confusing for ourselves and for our children. And that's why I mentioned it's important to speak to your of. It's not about hearsay, what everybody does. You know, when, um, when um, like, like Ruthie said, when people are coming into the wedding hall and the chas and are already coming under the, the um, arches, people think it's a trend, it's a thing to do. Like, what's wrong with it? Like, fine, like everyone does it. So a lot of this stuff, when we have to explain what is right and what's what's wrong. And sometimes just the more, we, I just found from my experience, how many people Pasha don't know. So I want to tell, explain this a little further. We also be aware that as Pashit Adin in Shulchan Aruch, that husband and wife do not display affection in front of others, okay? It's Adin, it's adin in Shulchan Aruch. It's not just like a Hasidish Minhig, or it's not proper, or it's not nice for your marriage. It's Pashit Halacha. And you can ask your Rav, there is a Halacha, that affection between husband and wife is not displayed in public. And the, the wording in the halacha is not even about hugs and kisses. The wording in the halacha is that the wife doesn't inspect the husband's head for lice in front of others. So that the onlookers should not come to think about um, romantic thoughts or male-female intimate thoughts when they see that closeness between husband and wife that she's, you know, checking his head for lice. I do want to say that um, there is, I was always wondering why Vishal brings that example of all others and actually there's a whole background to it that my husband showed me it says a gemara and there's a mimer on on this whole background of checking the head for lice but we're not going to go into it now but why do i why do i want to tell you this because different types of eden interpret this halacha on different levels okay so it's true by modern orthodoxy they will say that because the halacha continues that the the, uh, the problem will be that the onlooker, the male especially, who may see this, will start having hear her, which is thoughts, romantic thoughts, which is also for him. So they will say, well, nowadays, like, everybody is affectionate, like, no one's starting to think, it's so normal, there's no thoughts there, it's like, it's like part of life. So they will only um, uh, uh, forbid, uh, I don't know how to say this in any way, uh, really, like, intimate behavior that really is like belongs in the bedroom, that's what you don't do in front of others. But we're not modern Orthodox, okay? We're chassidim. From a yidin, we'll take this halacha literally, anything affectionate, hugs, kisses, holding hands, a pat on the back, anything that shows an affectionate touch, we don't do in front of others. You know, if the whole world thinks it's normal and they don't get thoughts, well, something's wrong with the rest of the world. But Bar Hashem, us as yidin, we have that sensitivity of the kedusha, of the male-female connection, you know? But sitting, we take it literally. That means checking the head for life is not hugs, it's not kisses. It's it's a physical act that shows a closeness. So any physical act that shows a closeness, we don't do in front of others. And also in pictures, it's not for us. We don't show it, we don't display it. So if you want to have your personal private pictures that you take and nobody ever sees it, fine, go ahead and do it. If, if I mean, I'm not a rough, check with your rough. If that's practical or not, uh, it's very rare. I mean, after 120, someone's going to find your albums. Like, are you really going to find it forever? 
Like no one's gonna scroll down your phone. You know how the kids like to press. Not my my phone is off limits to anyone in my family, but I see what the kids do. They start pressing buttons and they come up with stuff. You have to be careful. So in halacha, it's an issue. But I I like to also um, make my chas and kalas aware of another two aspects to this. And when I speak to them, it sinks in. <laughs> what? No. Okay. Ruthie, could you keep yourself on? Because I'm talking to someone. Yeah, yeah. Now hard it was to talk to myself. <laughs> I'm totally trying to Well, I see you. I see you. Okay, fine. Okay, good. Anyways, listen. So two things. I tell them of an incident that happened. I heard this from Rabbi Jacobson, and I hope I'm repeating it properly, like Rabbi Y.Y. Jacobson. Now, it ha there was an incident that once, that once the air conditioner was broken in the Rebbe's house, so they called the repairman. And he didn't know that he was coming to the Rebbe's house and he did the repairs, the Rebbe was home. And before he left, he asked the Rebbe, like, are you Chabad? And she said, yes. Do you admire the Rebbe? Very much so. Well, where's the picture of the Rebbe in your house? I'm in the living room, I'm in the dining room. I'm, I'm, I come to many crowds and houses in the Crown Heights. Everyone has a big, huge picture. I don't see it. So she said, she answered, I have the original. And I explained that you're just coming from the chuppah, where the two half neshamas were just united in a very deep level. Two half neshamas are embarking on a journey of oneness. This is the deepest sense of unity. Is there, is there a way to capture that oneness in a photo? There's something much deeper that's happening than can be captured in a photo. And if we have a, a chush and a geshmak and chassidus, if you have etzem, why go for giwi? But I also explained something else. And actually, I'm, I don't know how many people are in this audience right now, but I'm, I'm saying this, what I'm going to say now, for like 20 years and even in high school and even in seminary. And I'm waiting for someone to, I'm waiting for someone to actually refute me on this. So if you're going to be the one to do so, I'll be happy to hear from you, okay? Chas and Kala never touched each other before in their life. That's how it's supposed to be, okay? The first time they have the opportunity for touch, if she's Tahira, is in the Yichud room. That's not very much happening. After that, they come for the pictures. Do you really think they feel so natural with those affectionate poses if it's raw and new to have the touch together? It's usually then a staged event. Or unless they saw so many romantic movies that they're so used to this type of affection that becomes part of their part of their mindset. But somebody who followed the proper protocol, the proper halacha, the proper chesed shanhaga, they're not very comfortable posing. And where are they posing? They're not even in a private setting. Don't forget, there's the photographer with the two schnook, excuse me, the two people holding the the you no know, the flashes and the canopies and whatever else they're holding over there. Then you, you, they have the videographer, yes, little kids and family members are hang, hanging all around. The party planner are saying faster, faster, faster. So do you really think it's a comfortable, natural pose? It's a staged event. Why be fake? Okay, so I hope that answered that, that question. I forgot what the question was. <laughs> and that is, if your children do decide to do this, on their own because they're adults and they're grown up. You have you can tell the photographer after the fact when you do send out the wedding photos to everybody. Put their photos in a separate file. 
Send it only to them. At least, at least, um, at least you can control that. At least you have some element. And again, when what to do when everyone is doing it is the same answer. You can only once again express the importance of the kedusha of the day. And and I, I don't think we could do more than that. When my kid comes to me and says, "Ma, everybody has a phone, and I don't," you know, it's basically the same discussion. That I have. You know, it's not something that we do, and I explain to them why. Well, not anymore, um, as the device is flying all over my house right now. But I, I, I have that discussion with them, and like, especially with my grown adult children, it's your wedding, and I try my best. And then I, I, don't, I know one thing: I only I control very little in my life. And um, and and I hope that what I say resonates. I have colleagues who sit with me and we talk about posting pictures, and they and they shake their head and they listen to me. And then the next thing I know, they're cut their photos posted on their new WhatsApp profile. I I, I don't know. I, mean, I I can't I can't really. Um, when do you say it to them? When do we tell them this information? I think it should start. Uh, my kids know about how I feel about social media from a very, very young age. Very young age. Uh, they're, they're, like I said, they had to show me how to do this tonight. So, um, uh, I, and I don't do, uh, someone asked, do you have any tips on advice or advice for appropriate or chassidish dating? Mrs. Morozov? Go back. Let me go back one moment to the previous question. When in high school, yes, in high school, and again in seminary, and again, again when dating, and again when engaged. Um, all the time. All the time. Uh, we have to not in admonishing ways, but in positive. Look how holy. And I, I like, uh, there's a tool that I like. We have in our house, it's called the Sefer HaShulchan. It's four volumes of albums of the Rebbe's family. Uh, way back when, I think it was Tavshin Nun, maybe Aleph. I don't remember if you ever requested that uh, that every shliach should send in a family picture. And if you look through those pictures, you see how royalty poses. Some, some, we lost that art, but by looking over and, you know, so if you notice a beautiful family picture or a beautiful picture on, online where they see the news, you could comment on that. Wow, look how they're posing. It's so edel, it's so beautiful, it's so refined, it's so machistic, it's so royal, so Hasidish. We have to, it's something we have to teach. We can't put down, putting down never works. But right. it's, some people have that refinement. And sometimes if you point it out to them, just like your younger children, even when they're very little, if they sit down in a very unbecoming way with their feet like all spread out, you can see their, let's say, underwear. There's a nice way of telling them, oh, now you're, you're three years old, you're a lady. You know, there's a lady, there's a, an adult way. You know, so there are many things that we have to teach our children that maybe naturally they don't get. So this. This is just one thing, one more thing. I don't know if I'm saying something controversial now or not. So whoever's listening, like the boys are not taught. We assume that they know they don't. There's no bias early classes for the boys. And a lot of them would do better if they would know better. And it used to be the concept, don't talk to the boys about these concepts. They shouldn't think about marriage, da, 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 da. It's like, shh. Um, there's a lot of exposure nowadays, even to the best of the best. And therefore, is it a great service that we don't talk about this at all? I'm not sure. The next question is about tips and advice for dating. So first of all, you have to, before the, I don't like the word dating. It's really shaduchim, meeting for shaduchim purposes. Uh, I don't know, to me, dating is a geisha word. I don't know why. I think they're ever called a pegisha. A pegisha is a date. A date is a yoyim. I don't know. I don't know how you translate the words in Hebrew, English, and Kurdish. 
But the, fir the first thing is to read the Svarim, read Eternal Joy, okay, just to get the right flavor. On a practical level, there are Mashpiyais who have married off children and many more. I mean, Halavai, they should give me an opportunity that, you know, more of my children should be in the process of Hashem and have this dilemma. But um, speak with your Rav what those guidelines are. For example, should they meet in a home or should they meet what kind of places are appropriate? Should they, or at what point if things would change? If even where they're comfortable in different venues, I mean, maybe I'm exposing some prime information now, but way back when, when I was in the meeting for Shaduchim Purposes Age, one of those meetings, we planned to meet at a certain place, but there was like blasting Goyesha music in the background and we, it wasn't planned for. It was a little uncomfortable. I was so uncomfortable so I spoke up and I asked if you could just change venues because it wasn't noticed by the other party, but I was super sensitive to it. Not because the other part, the other person didn't notice. It's not like they wanted to be there on purpose, but sometimes we have to point it out. We have to plan. Um, we, um, my children recently, and uh, we, as a mother, we have to make phone calls. Is it gonna be any, any other events going on at that time? What time do you open? Who sits in the bar? Like, do you go to those places? Listen, ideally, there are some places here that um, in Crown Heights where you can meet in somebody's house. It's not the it's not Israel because the people are in the other part of the house and they set it up. You have a productive meeting. You don't have to necessarily go to places. Sometimes it's the practical thing to do. So there's the location, what you do at that place. There's appropriate um, conduct and appropriate. Um, Menschlichkeit even. I've had some girls that called me and I said, that's what you asked him? Like you were interrogating him? Like just practicing conversations, how you could get the same information with a nice kind of conversation and a nice question and not like you're there interrogating somebody. There's something called obviously stroll, you know, just be a mensch. So if you as a mother don't know, um, you should be in touch with your mashpia. There are dating coaches, you know, the chassidish woman married our people and could give you that advice and don't assume that your children know the same thing during the engagement they shouldn't be discussing anything about the physical aspect of the relationship they shouldn't be discussing with each other should i take the pill should i not take the pill what kind of beds the size of the beds they go shopping for bedroom furniture together they mattresses this is totally inappropriate totally inappropriate there's a gather that before you marry there's no discussion about anything that has to do with the physical aspect of the relationship Okay, um, there's a hot topic that Ruthie opened up the, how do you say, the Pandora box? How do you say that in English? Pandora's box, that's it. Okay, I'm getting a good English vocabulary. I went to a lot of new things these days. I just want to say one more thing about boys and dating. Um, I mean, I'm not, I, I, it's, they do sometimes speak to their friends, but just practical stuff like, is there parking? Are they going to make their call walk 50 blocks because there is no parking? So really tell your sons to do a dry run the night before, get in a car, do a dry run, read the parking sign, do if there's a parking garage, how expensive is it gonna be? That's just a really practical dating tips advice if that's what we wanted to hear. But then again, um, does anything change because of Corona? Sure things change because of Corona because we have to keep the law. I know Ruthie doesn't like the law sometimes, but <laughs> I said sometimes. It's difficult for all of us. It's a pain. It's a real pain sometimes to withhold. 
I must uh, to withhold whatever we'd love to do. Um, I don't think it's a time to break the law. Um, not you don't break the law of Yichud either. Um, some people do well with Zoom and some people don't. So you have to think. I mean, could you imagine sitting like facing someone for so long, like face to face, not even like next to each other, not even walking, waiting like <laughs> again? Please, I didn't hear. Dating like this. Yeah, dating like this. Yeah. <laughs> and whatever but there there are ways around it like with honest communication being straightforward say look every half an hour i'm going to take a walk we'll come back you know we can't maybe sit in one place for so long um yeah so some people are dating now anyways and with social distancing i don't know if they sit across the dining room table i don't know how this works there are ideas and some people are avoiding it because they feel um you don't want to put your son or daughter in an uncomfortable position it makes it even harder for them so i guess it depends on personality and circumstance and again, the mashpia, the rav, and the law. Getting back, so there's two more questions that came up here, which is about, um, okay, changes of corona at the wedding, how are you gonna dance? Could the mechotanim even kiss? Could the mechotanim kiss the kala? Could the mechotanim kiss the chosm? Could they hold hands under the chuppah? Could they dance together? You have to work it out, um, go every step of the way, and it, hopefully, Mr. Shem, well, now we're middle of Sirius Eimer, we anticipate by the time our comes around, things will be only get better, and by the time Shavuos comes around, things will be super better. So I don't know if now is a practical time to worry to deal with that because hopefully we don't we won't have to make those plans. And those plans, you know, just like that's what I keep saying. My wedding's my, my wedding two days before Shavuos, so yeah. Um, I said there was one more question. This is for you. Could um, well, we have two. Uh, the one that we spoke about before. And then can you elaborate on how Yichud issues may come up for late dating when you're coming home late for a long time? And is there any difference in Yichud rules with Shadokha meeting versus when engaged? I think it does change. Yes, yes. When you're engaged, I believe it's called um, the status of Liva Gaspai, which in its exact translation is. So when... You go ahead. Okay, I'm, I don't know what's wrong with my sound. I guess if we both talk maybe at the same time, I don't hear anyone or anything. So I'll raise my hand. Um, yes, when you're just, when you're meeting for different purposes, you're uncomfortable with each other. It's raw, it's new. Yichud applies, but not as, but there's more stringencies when it comes to once you're already engaged. Like Ruth, you mentioned, you enter the halacha category of Levi Gaspa, which means he's fond of her. He'll step in to protect her. People are used to seeing them together, so they won't they won't um, they won't ask questions. They'll cover for each other, and therefore, according to many paiskim, it's not enough that the door is open. A pesach basoch isn't enough. So um, late at night, there's less people around. Even in broad daylight, certain parks, especially nowadays, even this, I, mean, I know about parks. I haven't been in parks, but certain locations, like in middle of the winter, certain parks are empty. You know, so even in broad daylight. Um, you have to be in a place where people could, even at night, if people could see you if you're driving at night. Is somebody looking into the car? Are there people in the streets that can see, can look in the car, or there's secluded streets? Um, you could speak to your local rov about those guidelines because it also depends on your city. Uh, if you're in the suburbs or you're in Crown Heights, etc., and also depends if you're middle of Tishrei where there's guests 24/7. There's people on the streets the whole time versus the quieter times of the year where now, now. yep. So speak with your rov. It depends on location, but you have to do research. It's not like a list. This, there are variables there. 
Back to the birth control. I don't know if the question is about using birth control once you're married because you don't want to have children right away or about using hormonal manipulation to avoid kapasnida. So what is the question? Um, the question was, I said you're going to elaborate on the trend that girls come to the college class with the, um, that they're going on birth control right when they get married and they're staying on for six months. I mean, I could say what I say to them when they say that to me. Um, but I think I'm a, um, I, I say to them very plainly and very simply, I go, I, I have a whole crew review class that I give with them. And I, and I, and I do say to them that staying on birth control after your wedding requires the consent of your third partner, who is the abister. And you're, the way you get the consent of your third partner, the abister in your marriage, you committed under the chuppah, the abister, the third part, your partner in your marriage is by speaking to a rav. Taking a hormones before you're married to avoid chuppas nida is one thing, and take, continuing after is completely, other, is a completely other thing, and you need to speak to a rav. A lot of the girls are like, what? I have no idea. Uh, and some of them are like, I know, and I, my parents know who to speak to. But I think it's more there's like this trend that it's like a thing you need to do. And um, if you could, if we could give Mrs. Miraz of tips for the mothers to speak to their daughters about this from you, that would be great. I don't know if there's specific tips because again, it's about the relationship issue. If you don't have a good relationship, she'll do what she wants anyways. She'll go to the doctor. It's a little too late. But it's something that should be discussed way before. The whole concept of the beauty and the bracha, and it's about amuna and bitachin, and you get married, we're committed. The first bracha, like you know, look at the Rebbe's answers. If we were, if there's a actually a lot of things, nice things are posted on uh, the fa faucet of blessings dot blogspot.com. Different answers from the Rebbe, different sikhas and snippets. We have to be well armed because if we have the information, the original, then we have we have what to say at the right time. So again, if the relationship is healthy, bring it up. Don't wait for the day before the wedding. I wouldn't say, I would say, I wouldn't say, say more, um, do you have an openness? Like, I mean, some, curl, some girls are not as open as others. But yeah, there is a lot of amazing information. We have beautiful, like if you want it from any of us, we have beautiful sikhas and letters back and forth um, from the Rebbe with, uh, um, when the Rebbe was addressing this issue with amazing, tremendous amount of passion. Um, there's even the video we we show I show them a video a beautiful video. There is a lot of information as a mother if you want it, you know we we have it for you. We have it for you and it's good to read it and read it again and read it again because every time I read it I learn something new. Um, we try our best, but it's more that that they just think that it's the thing to do and kind of dissuading them from, you know, a, a, a speaking to them about why they want to do it and what their reason is. I don't pry if they come to me that it's a you know fait accompli. I just let them know that. It's important that they have um, a rov's het a hetter from a rov to do it. Um, but if they're waff, if they're waffling, if they're vacillating, if they're not sure, and if you know, it's always good to have the information. You and us. I mean, I have a little. You know, it's good for you to have it. So I want to add two things. First of all, Ruth, you touched upon a very important point about not prying. There are some girls and maybe even some boys that they need halachically a hetter not to have a child right away for whatever emotional, physical reason. People have health issues. And if we come and paint this whole big picture and be talking whatever, it can be very insensitive. So it's a very yeah. fine balance. So if you know your child suffers from anxiety, 
or some other mental health issue or as a physical ailment or the chosen does that may pose a difficulty to have children right away, don't wait till last minute. This is a sensitive issue. Speak it over with the Rav because if she needs to go on birth control, it's not a last minute thing. It's always easier to do it well in advance to ease her body into whatever it is that's needed. So we have to be very, very sensitive and not just like everybody, we can't make like this huge blanket statement because there are a percentage of people that Alpi Halacha is part of taking care of their health. You know, there's a Mr. Pur rule and there's a Mr. Nishmartma and Nafshi Seichem. Which one overrides which? The Rav will decide. And once the Rav decides, um, we, Tahareinu, like Chassi posted earlier, is a great resource of the right choices if it's needed in the beginning of the marriage. Okay, and of course, the chassin, um, no one should go behind anyone's back. Um, that's not a good idea, unless a rough specifically says, don't tell your chassin that you're doing it, which is very rare, and it's gotta be like a real emergency. But this has to be thought out, thought out and done in a very sensitive way. But um, on the other hand, as um, college teachers, who are dealing with girls that because it's a trend and everyone does it and why should I have a baby right away? We try to address it, but the truth is right now it should be addressed in high school and in seminary and all like way, way before. It's a mindset. And if they have the right hashkaf and mindset over and over again, because don't forget, we're competing with a huge beautiful world that's not yet a gun. We're working on Hashem's presence here. And it's a very tough competition. So because the clip is so strong, they have to hear it in many, many different ways so they can make the right choices for themselves. Again, we have to be sensitive. There are exceptions. I have, let's say, sometimes there's a girl that went through a trauma or her best friend had a horrible divorce or and she heard about it and she has such insecurity. Like we cannot dismiss when it's really a Shaila and a Shaila should be asked. That's one category of people. And because we don't always know that as college teachers, we have to be very, very careful, you know, to go between, you know, the rock and the hard place. But for the most part, um, we just want to make you aware of what's happening. And if you need the college teacher's help privately, we'll be happy to get involved. But it's not always something easy to address at, at, at such a time. People are not necessarily, on one hand, they may, it's a, it, their time for, to open to new things. Like when we talk about hair covering, some of them had preconceived negative ideas and now that it's fresh it's new we could work on making things work beautiful from the outset we could try but we're just addressing a trend it's not a one-size-fits-all again it's a combination circumstance the relationship communication the role you know um about that um not about that about the i i you know, a lot of times the mothers look at college teachers as they think that we might be like the mediator. Like, can you tell my daughter this? Can you tell my daughter that? And um, my obligation as a college teacher is to teach her what I know in the best way that I can. And if you're having a, you know, friction with your daughter, I, I'm I'm speaking for me, not anybody else, but I'll just say I'm not comfortable getting involved to the point that it will harm what I'm telling her if she... Um, thinks that it's coming from you, from the mother. Um, I, you could you could give me thoughts and things that you want me to emphasize. All of us, like I have no problem with that. But um, I asking the college teacher to be like the mediator, kind of is not it's not healthy for her to be able to absorb what I'm giving her. Um, I, I just want to put that out there because I think I think it's important. Um, that's that's basically it. 
Okay, so. I... <laughs> it's, no, it's the other hand. I'm trying to think. Okay. Um, I just, I forgot to answer the question about using hormonal manipulation to avoid chupas nida. I'm not here to tell you yes or no. You could ask a Shiloh Yorov. It's a halachic issue. Um, meaning if you're required halachically to use hormones to avoid chupas nida, or you can let nature take its course. Like how, if you're supposed to, or it's up to you, you know, speak to your of. I'm not getting involved in that. But I want to tell you one thing. It's important that if you do choose to do the hormonal route, that it's done the right way. Because if it's done the wrong way, it could cause more harm uh, with um, staining issues and other issues. It's got to be done the right way. So those of you that have access to a from doctor that deals with this the whole time, that's great. Those of you that don't, maybe you live on Schlichus and there's... Um, Maybe you have a most amazing, fantastic doctor who's so nice and kind, but he may not have the knowledge in this particular field, meaning that in halacha, staining is a little dot on a vidika cloth, and in medical science, that's totally irrelevant. So he may not be familiar when you say, well, this costs staining, he'll say, nah, it's not a big deal, when really for Tarsan Shvach it is. So that's the case, that's where Tarenu comes in. They could advise you what to tell your doctor to prescribe and how it should be prescribed the proper way. There are different ways to do this. There's one shita that everyone should go on kind of the agestin, the vacation pill, just wait till right before the wedding and for two weeks, if you have to two, two and a half weeks, take the pill, push off your wedding and in Israel, that's what they do like primalitnar, agestin or syndrome, whatever it is and whatever. For some people that doesn't work, uh, for whatever reason, I'm not going to get into. You can discuss with your doctor, and they prefer a long-term combination pill, birth control type of pill. But that must be started well, well, well in advance, like two months or more. And the best time to start it is actually the second or third day of the period. So that's why, like, if the girl, you know, had the lachaim, she's getting her period. It's good to consult the doctor right away, so you can make the choice if you want to do the birth control route or you want to wait and see and do the ingestion, the progesterone-only progesterone um, route. And again, Tarenu can explain to you the difference of both. So you can make A, an informed decision, and B, you must take the medication precisely as you're supposed to as a firm woman, so it should cause the least amount of staining and the least amount of side effects. I want to finish up, and I want to actually um, bench all of us that we should be zeicha immediately to the chasana of Kuchabucham Knesset Yisrael. Mamish. In a moment's notice, we should see the whole reversal of the Golas, and we should open our eyes, and we should, like the Rebbe says, that when Mashiach will come, not only will it be a communal wedding, where Yidin and the Jewish people will have kind of the greatest chasm of all, because the Nisuan will be completed, but the Abishra will personal, it'll be a personal chasna. The Abishra's personal marriage with every individual. So let's look forward and wish each other Mazel Tov. Can't hear you. Can't hear you. Oh, there we go. Sorry. Thank you so much, Mrs. Morozov and Mrs. Ferlin, for this incredibly informative session. Um, I hope that all the mothers listening here uh, really took the time to enjoy and take notes and think about all the things you'd want to discuss with your child, whatever stage um, your child is up to. And as a Hashem, we should all celebrate Simchas with Mashiach now. I want to just uh, let you know that this is the second in a series that we're having. And to please tune in again next Wednesday at mikvah.org forward slash live at the same time at 8 o'clock for an informative session on the background and reasons for hair covering, highlighting the Rebbe's perspective with Mrs. Esther Blinken. So thank you again, Mrs. Mraza, Mrs. Ferlin, and see you all again next week.
eight o'clock, same time, same place. Thank you. Bye.